Talk. Talk show. Talk back. Talk radio. Talk your talk. Walk your talk. KGNU talk. Call in. Call in and talk. Call in and connect. Connections. Friday mornings at 8.30 on KGNU. Good morning and welcome to Connections. Today, I am your co-host, Fiona Foster, and I'm here because I'm very excited to introduce a new member of our Connections Collective, Rosana Longo-Better. And you may have heard her reporting already on The Morning Magazine on Pasa La Voz. She's an experienced reporter. She's a veteran of KGNU, and we're so excited to have her as part of this collective. This morning, it is the same Connections format. We're going to welcome your calls. And Rosanna's guests are all bilingual, so there may be a bit of Spanish coming your way. Un poco de español para ser más accesible. And now I'm going to pass the microphone over to Rosanna for the rest of the show. You may hear me jumping in if I have a question, but this is all her studio now. Welcome, Rosanna. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back in the studios, and it is a pleasure to be part of this collective. This morning, I am welcoming to Connections, and I am your host, Rosanna Longobetter, and Fiona Foster is co-hosting with me this morning. Today in our studios, we have Beth Elrich, a Marshall Fire Recovery Navigator, a victim of the Marshall Fire, Elsie Chavez, who lived in a mobile home in Old Superior, and here at the studios, uh, she's accompanied by her son, Arthur Chavez. And we also have Bernardo Padilla, a grassroots community activist with the group Si Se Puede, que si se puede cuando se puede y cuando se quiere, to share their experience on the recovery of the Marshall Fire, the most destructive wildfire in the state's history. Most of the victims are still working on getting permits and going through the process of rebuilding. It has been a year. People said two years, and it was kind of crazy to think so long, two years, to get your home back, but it is what it is. It has not been easy. Elsie and Arthur, I met you both last year, and we walk around the property where five generations of the Chavez family lived. What has been done so far in the property and what have been the biggest obstacles in the process of rebuilding? Elsie. They cleaned our land and uh, uh, we, lately we just heard that my son Arturo, I'm sorry, El Teddy, got his uh, permits. So they're saying that he will be, uh, they're going to be processing and, and trying to get his the foundation in but he heard that his mobile home or his modular I better say is already done and as soon as they get the foundation up and the plumbing and electricity and all that other stuff that goes with it that I don't know too much about um, hopefully he'll be getting in around March so we're praying on that so it has been a whole process Arthur, you have been supporting your mom all the way. Share with us what you have been doing, especially because you have been in charge of all that paperwork. Yeah, my wife and I uh, 
I've been dealing with uh, the insurance and so on and so forth. Um, it's been it's been a struggle. I mean, um, there's a lot of back and forth um, on how much loss there was, what they're going to cover, um, and so on and so forth. We so we're still trying to figure out how we're going to uh, finance the rest of my my mother's place um once it's in um but uh yeah we're still going through some things trying to find some grants and stuff like that to to help help her get along with some of the other you know payments that are going to be coming up so Arthur I just noticed that your mic was a little low and I just wanted to give you the opportunity also to share with the listeners you know, that deep experience that you shared with me last year, you said that your mama was the holder of all those photographs, the history <laughs> of all the Chavez. And when I interview you, you request in the radio to the people that if they had some pictures, please send them your way. Yes, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, um, my mom had I mean, thousands of pictures in, in her home. Um, she actually had um, a bookshelf with uh, individual um, um, photograph uh, binders for each child in the family of pictures that were um, in, of them and their families and what's not. And she was almost getting ready to distribute those. I think within the next, well, before the fire, it was going to be a year or two as soon as she finished them to everybody in our families, my uncles and aunts and stuff like that. Well, unfortunately, all that's gone. Um, history i mean years and years of history gone um so we had requested that anybody you know family friends whoever has pictures of our family um send them to us so that we can try to recreate some of those memories um so far we've had a few um, we had a little family reunion and um on my uh, father's side and uh, uh some of my cousins had some really good pictures that we got to got to get uh copies of so we're we're starting off a little bit at a time but it'll hopefully gradually get there um it would sure be nice uh, so my grandkids could see all my grandparents and their grand you know great grandparents and stuff like that the history behind it arthur chavez uh, telling us you know this deep um story about losing pictures you know baby pictures stories that you know you can get a home back by those things that are so special you cannot get them back and uh, in a way we bringing you today to the station um, it's for me to honor to honor the loss also that you have gone through the hard year that you have gone through um, especially for Elsie this has not been an easy year is there something that you would like to share with us well, it just seems like uh, it's still a dream. And I, it's hard for me to speak because every time I think about it, everything that's gone, it just breaks my heart. I mean, we had five generations. Uh, my grandson, uh, Ryan, is one of my fifth graduate, uh, uh, five graduations, the last child for that one. Now we're starting with four. But I was a fifth his mother was a fifth generation with um, my grandparents, and he was a fifth generation with my grandpa. 
So, and so our listeners know your grandson is here in the studio too, and you're referring to him. You have a large and beautiful family that has given you support, and that's how you have gone through this year. Definitely. Uh, if it wasn't for the family, not just my children, my grandchildren, but also my niece and nephews on my side and on my husband's side, they've all pulled f forward and They've always been great to me, and you know, like if Auntie, if I need this, if you need this, just call me. Mm -hmm. And right now, they're all saying, Auntie, if you need to need any help getting the the yard fixed or whatever, let us know so we can try to help you. Uh, but it's hard, you know. It's they have their own lives too, so it's really hard to do that. And it's and then my. I know I talked to you, Rosanda, about doing that last year. Um, I got cancer. Uh, now I got cerebral palsy. And that cerebral palsy, I think, took some of my hearing. And um, uh, also I had some trouble with my nerves in my back. So, and I think it's all been my stress. And I haven't come to realize it till the last seven months what really has happened. And it's just, and, and then I sit there and worry about, okay, I have this much. And my sons say, Mom, we don't have enough money, but we'll get it, we'll get it. So, and my nieces and nephews too. Auntie, don't worry, we'll try to help as much as we can. Well, most of them are sick. They're all on my age too. So it's, it's been a very difficult path. And then we're taking uh, Ryan's home over. And then my, my daughter lives there. My my uh, sister and myself, and like I told you, it's tough because there's four different uh, uh, what do I want to say personalities in this house, mm -hmm. and believe me, it's there are times that we just can't get along. So it happens in every family. <laughs> it happens in every family, <laughs> and that is maybe the key here. That thank you for sharing from the heart today, Elsie. But also, I want to point out. Um, something important that your family took you in that you you have also put out um, your daughter Arthur put out um, GoFundMe so you guys have pu pulled yourself together as a family and you have gone through all this um, without requesting so much assistance even though there is you know you have received some but not as many as much I should say of the support that you know, done. You're right. Um, but, you know, we have so many family and friends that have come forward. And, you know, it's just, it might not be financial, but it's, um, you know, the, the, the love that's there. You know, the, you know, coming and visiting, um, taking them to dinner, you know, just, just being there. Just knowing that they're there to to talk to. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we know, you know, with family and friends, that, you know, my mom's been... She's the patriarch of our family and always has been. And uh, she's not only watched over our family, but other people's families, all my uncle's families, and, you know, and so on, cousins' families. She's always watching the kids and always doing for everybody else. Now it's her time for us to do for her. And that's what we're trying to do right now. And, and it's, it's hard to, to start over, especially, you know, at mom's age and, you know, and all How the memories gone. And, How old is uh, she? Mom just... She'll be 78, actually, next month. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, seventy-eight. 78 yeah, beautiful. And you know, and I know she's biting at the bit to to get back in the yard and start working in the yard because she can't sit still. Um, so you know, it's going to be a big project and it's going to be a long ways. But you know, we're hoping within the next you know six months, seven months that she's going to be in her home. Um, cross our fingers that everything goes to plan and all the foundations get put in right in a row and all the houses get you know modules get put on and we can get her in there and she can start her new her new uh adventure i should say <laughs> yeah see her new adventure yes yes he knew you know going back home that i think is so important i just want to mention that you are listening to kgnu fm 88.5 boulder kgnu 1390 Boulder is 846, and this is Connections here at KGNU. And as you all know, Connections is, uh, is a show that is a calling show. So I want to I wanna ask the listeners this morning to give us a call to 303-442-4242, 303-442-4242. And if you have something to share, if you have been affected by the Marshall Fire and you want to share with us, your story. Here we are to hear from you uh, so that you can share and also to take advantage of the presence of somebody that has come here to talk about what is there to do and how to get support. Beth, you also experienced damage in your home and now you are a bilingual Marshall Fire Recovery Navigator. What have you seen people struggle with the most at the beginning and continue to this day? You know, at the beginning, it was just finding resources, finding water, finding heat, uh, coming out of the COVID shell and being willing to risk going into an environment with a lot of people and asking for help, people being in kind of a daze, finding places to live, experiencing shortages of housing and increases in rent, uh, coming to understand huge insurance gaps. And we started the Marshall Fire Recovery Navigator Center in July, which is when we started to be able to help people access the $20,000 Community Foundation grants for rebuilding. And the program... uh, started developing and finding out what people needed and hearing people's stories and growing and and shifting some to try to meet the needs of the community. It has not been easy, but I think that because you also experienced the damage, you are much more sensitive to these and you have been able to, you know, ask, uh, answer those calls and give support to the people. I was able to also interview Commissioner Martha Lochman, and I interview her because the U.S. Department of Interior announced a national amount of money that was so incredible, $228 million program to fight and recover from wildfires, and $7 million of those have been assigned to Colorado. But you will hear in the interview with her, for Commissioner Marta Lochman, it is not enough to face the cost of natural disasters and the need. And she calls in for the need of all of us 
to get on it and be much more precautious, you know, take care of what we need to take care. So we're going to listen to that interview now. Why do these funds that are coming towards us are extremely important? Here at the county, we have a policy team that has been working with us outside of all of the other departments that were in response, that were in reaction, that have been helping with the reconstruction and the green building, et cetera. Outside of all of that, we have a policy team who's been helping us to answer some of these questions about how do we plan as an organization, as a county, but more importantly, how do we support the state of Colorado and the federal government who must take on natural disaster work to provide funding, to provide support, and really to create systems based on the climate concerns that we have and certainly the the issues around climate change that we face here in Colorado and the western area of this country. And so there's a couple things we've done locally, and one is in regards to our local ballot measure on 1A and the wildfire mitigation funding, because we know that we have to do a portion of that here locally. And the funding that you are just referring to that is now um, happening at the state level, which will end up being, it's national, but then it will be a $7 million allotment for the state of Colorado. Unfortunately, just to give you some numbers as we've been talking and I'm thinking here, so the ballot measure 1A will bring about $9.5 million to Boulder County, thankful to the great generosity of Boulder County voters who've said wildfire mitigation is critical. So if you think about that number compared to $7 million for the state of Colorado, we still need federal assistance. We still need federal help. We need the state of Colorado to support the work that needs to be done, not just in lessons learned, but the mitigation, the planning, because the suppression at the other end of wildfire mitigation or wildfire is extremely expensive. We have spent $33 million as a county just on the Marshall Fire. That's not talking about our previous Four Mile Canyon fires, the previous Sunshine Canyon fire, the previous Calwood fire. So just to give you an idea of the need and why it's important for advocacy and what we're doing here in the commissioner's office. I'm speaking with Marta Lochman, commissioner of Boulder County, and we're talking about the federal funds that are assigned now to the state of Colorado, $7 million dollars. And these are going to go towards 50 projects. By looking at the numbers, you realize how big the problem is. How can we get ready? How can we, the common person, get ready for the reality that we have more climate emergencies? What's our personal responsibility? How can we personally react after the shock and the horror and the different types of traumas that folks are feeling? But this reminder again, last week in Lyons and this week here in the city of Boulder about not just natural disasters, but just that disasters can happen, right? Meaning not a wildfire from climate or, but also the structural fires, right? And so one of those pieces just from lessons learned, if I look at the data from, and the number that I got before this conversation was from February, 2022, that question of underinsurance, because we hear that from folks about the biggest concern about underinsurance. Once we started doing assessments and tallies around the Marshall Fire, both in the town, the city, and also here in unincorporated Boulder County. And that number is really about 30% of community members who were directly impacted and their homes were destroyed had enough insurance, were fully insured. 
So what does that mean? It means that we have folks who aren't insured that as a, what can anybody else do right now? A business owner, your car owner, your health insurance, your life insurance, and your home insurance. Nobody wants to pay insurance and nobody wants to live in the what if something happens and the reality of where we are in the climate that we're seeing the really, really extreme temperatures that we're going to be experiencing this week are very, very cold. And then the really extreme, we saw, I believe it was a two degree rise last year from where we've been um, in this country. Like it's a react, you know, it's a climate issue. And so what's our personal responsibility? That's one of those pieces that people can review their different insurance policies to plan, which unfortunately is just one thing that people can do to ask those questions, to talk with their neighbors, to talk with their family members, and just check in and ask, hey, when's the last time you had your insurance policy looked at and reviewed? And was it for you or was it for that insurance company's benefit? You are listening to Connections here on KGNU, and you were just listening to a pre-recorded piece, Marta Lochman, the commissioner of Boulder County. Um, I am your host today, your co-host, Fiona Foster, and you've also been listening to my co-host, Rosanna Longo-Better. And we have four guests live here in the studio today who have been sharing their stories, their experience, and we're going to continue to hear about their stories and experience with the Marshall Fire. I also want to hear from the rest of our community, 303-442-4242. Uh, even though this experience happened a year ago, I don't know that we've done a connection show on on the Marshall Fire. And I personally know a lot of people that have been impacted by this fire. I'm sure all of our listeners do too. And if there is a story here that is, is touching you, I'd love for you to call in and share it, 303-442-4242. We have Nancy back answering the phone. So we'll, she will answer and, and you'll be able to wait while we uh, have a conversation and we'll bring you up on air. So we would love for you to join the conversation here about the Marshall Fire, but I'm also now going to pass the microphone back to Rosanna because she is going to uh, speak to another uh, guest that we have in the studio right now. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you so much. You're passing me the baton, and we are sharing today. We are co-hosting, and it is so exciting for me to have all these guests this morning, and especially one guest that I was able to get at the very end that is Bernardo Padilla. Bernardo, welcome to the show, Connections, this morning. And I really wanted to welcome you today and thank you for taking the time to come. You are originally from Ciudad Juarez and you have been in Boulder since 1993 as part of the Grupo Si Se Puede. Share with us how your, your group got actively involved in the aftermath of the fire, which made a big difference in the lives of those who were affected. Good morning to you all, and thank you for the invite, first and foremost. Um, it, it, it is one of those things where you don't want to think about all the things that happen, but um, it's also a good reminder of, you know, um, of what people can do as a community to help out every, uh, as much as we can of people in need. Um, we basically, um, we helped out more than anything people in the mobile home communities. Um, we are more involved in the city of Boulder, but when the fire came out, um, we tried to help a little bit as, as much as we could where we could. Um, we, 
it wasn't just you know the fire it was a great thing but there was also a lot of wind damage to other places and that was where our focus was we wanted to help everybody in need and then you know bring people the right information of the right people that they should be in contact with so that we could you know connect them in one way or another to get the proper help that they needed Bernardo your group went around knocking on doors you know the way that we as Latino community connect, you know, con el vecino, la vecina. And that's how you were able to, you know, get people telling you what was going on and also guide them to get some resources. We just heard right now from Marta Lochman, Commissioner Marta Lochman, and she talked about $33 million already spent in the aftermath of the Marshall Fire. From your experience, how many people, thanks to your support, were able to access to these funds? You know, I don't have an exact number, unfortunately. We did try to reach out uh, to as many people as we can, and you're absolutely correct. Um, our Hispanic community is more of an in-person in-person action as opposed to a phone call, text message, and email. Um, but we did try to reach out as many people as we could. Um, and, and like you said, coming out of the shell of COVID and having somebody, you know, knocking on your door, trying to get your resources is not exactly one of those things that that's easy to, to take in, you know. But we did try to reach out to everybody that we could. We did focus a lot on the mobile home community just because, you know, it, it, it's a bigger loss. Um Um, there's not as much resource or help that there should be. Um, and we just wanted to get people connected to the right sources. Um, and it's hard when, you know, when you knock at somebody's door and you have the look of, you know, trying to, trying to be, be comprehensive of, of what happened through someone else's eyes. I don't know if that makes a little sense, mm -hmm. but you know, um, uh, it's, it's one of those where you cannot just assume what they're going through. You have to be open to to helping them and so way while respecting their their um their loss whether it be physical Bernardo or, you are pointing out that you it was important to guide them to the right sources mm -hmm. and we have here in the studios Beth who's the right resource and I wanted to know if you have some data about how many people you have been able to help already how many calls you know because it's it's not easy especially And I have to say, as a Latina, we don't like asking for help. We work hard. We don't ask for help. Well, let me let me interject just real quick. Not only is it hard to ask for help, but trusting, trusting people. That's the other part that Latinos have problems with is, do I trust these people? Do I trust what they're saying to me? That That's, that's a hard thing, too, so... Arthur, you are, no, Arthur, you are completely <laughs> right. It is that. And then if you add also, um, we had undocumented victims too, and they mm -hmm. struggled. They were not able to get anything. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut in. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I definitely agree with Arthur. And that was part of what we were we were facing. You know, Hispanic communities, um, when we try to get the word out, it was one of those, someone else is helping me or um, my family's already helping me. Yeah, and I don't need I don't need a home. I don't exactly. need to rent anything. I'm going to go con el hermano, el primo, exactly. el tío, el abuelo, la mamá. It, and, and just to touch back, it is great that, you know, that the, our own family, our own community is willing to do that. But there's a point where everybody's just, hey, this is, you know, like you said, a lot of different um, uh, 
a lot of different people live in one place at a certain point they're bound to clash so that's why we we focus on that as well yeah bernardo i just want to say to the listeners if you feel that this conversation this morning is touching your heart and you want to either share something or ask a question please call us 303-442-4242 we are here to get your calls this morning beth please Share with us some numbers and also your experience of having to, you know, give some support to these people that from one moment to the other one lost everything. Yeah, well, first, I just want to validate that uh, in a huge disaster like this, as individuals, we try to be strong. As families, we come together. But we need a wider community. It's it's just imperative that we have that wider community involved and in, in getting help and planning how this help is delivered, there are so many factors. There's what's the organization planning to do, what are the funders' intentions, but then there are psychological elements around getting help, and then there are social and structural challenges that are real that prevent people from feeling all the way safe and secure and asking for help. And so I just want to really acknowledge that. And um, so... The way that we have worked as a disaster recovery uh, organization is a lot on what people are calling into us, what people are emailing us, what people are reaching out to us. And so please, you know, don't be afraid to try to reach out uh, because we really do want to offer support and to help people get into contact with ways that can support them in their particular situations. So um, in terms of numbers, we've had on the website, I don't know how recent the data was, but at least 500 appointments with recovery navigators. We've outreach uh, called maybe 800 people in response to their emails and calls. We've had over 233 grants applications submitted. Those are the people rebuilding for the $20,000. And we've had over 183 grants approved. Now, those rebuilding dollars are focused on people who are building homes after the Marshall Fire. There are also other sources of support available for people who are moving to a different home or who um, maybe are renters. And so we have to get the whole story of the family and do case management to find out what are the needs and what are the resources and uh, We're trying to also figure out, you know, a lot of people were reached in that city and county program in the mobile homes, and they did some amazing cultural brokering work, and I wish we could replicate that in my office. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that there we can find additional resources to try to continue that work because the wind damage is hugely significant, and it brings out kind of the equity issues in this situation and in our county. This is what I always like to say, you know, we come together for connections, and this is the show of connections, to connect with each other, to give us support, and to, you know, make a change. Um, one of the things that I noticed when I was navigating, you know, the resource that you are providing for the community is that one of the things that you are trying to give support is to those that are underinsured. And, you know, Commissioner Lodgepin, she mentioned that exactly, that people that are underinsured have been suffering the most. And in that case, Elsie, you also mentioned that, and, you know, because of 
of you sharing your story, a lot of people got activated and they openly said we are underinsured. And the numbers go like this. Only it's incredible to know that so many people are underinsured and that we don't even know that that's something that needs to be, you know, like it's classic that you need to always review your insurance and this and that. We learn a lot because of your sharing and your experiences. Is there some support? I saw that if you are underinsured, you get some support. So we have an insurance expert that people can talk to to navigate insurance. And then we kind of put a picture of the whole package together to find out where you're at now, what's your scope of loss, and how we might be able to add some support into your upcoming bills. Um, There's also a program from the state which is income dependent. So people, for example, who earn less than 80% of the area median income could qualify for up to $100,000 in a forgivable loan, which if they continue to live in the home for three years after that, they, uh, the loan would be forgiven. Beth, I think this is key also what you are saying, because who wants to get into a mortgage when you are already more than 70 years old? or, you know, when you're older. That is key, I think. Yes, Elsie. You're right, Rosanna. Like, for me, I'm saying, we worked all our lives, right? And we thought we had good insurance. We didn't, we had no idea that I was under, under, uninsured. But when my thought was, okay, this will cover my house. But we never thought about what we had to do with plumbing, what we have to do with electricity, what we have to do with phones, none of that stuff. You know, we we just had a a little thing here saying, okay, I have enough money, but we don't because we don't know about this other stuff. And when we get insurance, they're not telling us, well, you know, if anything happens to your house, we'll cover your house, but they don't tell us that they're covering other stuff that is needed. Like, you know, like plumbing and stuff like that. That's where it, it yeah. takes a lot of money. Elsie, so many expenses that you don't even know. And uh, I just want to make sure right now Fiona is saying, hey, make sure that you get, um, you know, remind people to give us a call. Yeah, so I have uh, two things. The first is I would love people to call in. We have 20 minutes. And uh, if you want to join and share your share your story or react to the stories that you're hearing here from our community 303-442-4242 is the number in the studio and i also wanted to uh, give our guests a chance to react to what they're hearing from each other right now as well because i'm noticing bernardo as elsie is speaking you're nodding and i was i wanted to invite you to jump in and 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 react from your your perspective and well and it, it Thinking about that is is just unfortunate to realize that it's absolutely correct what you're saying, especially in the Hispanic community. Um, we have that will of, I don't need much because I will work until the end. Or My dad is 74 years old, and for the first time ever, he had to go to, to the hospital. And not only for the first time ever in his life, but for the first time ever here in the States since we've been here. And it's one of those where instead of recovering, he's thinking about how soon he can get back to work. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a, the way it works. And that's what the our program sees up with it entitles we we try to get people the the correct information for that you know a lot of the hispanic community that lives in mobile home parks don't even have insurance Mm -hmm. because they don't think it's a 
a great necessity. And however, a few weeks back, uh, a neighbor of mine lost his home to a fire, and you know him being a you know um, knowing what he had to do, he had to dis- his insurance and so on and so forth. And after speaking with him, speaking with him a few days ago, he said exactly what you said. Even though I had insurance, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. So imagine somebody that doesn't have insurance at all that has to rely on other sources and then in the midst of of you know of a loss how do you have the mindset to to know where those resources are or who do you ask for help um i've been living to the guy for the next next to the guy uh for the last 16 years and he didn't know exactly what it was that we did so it's it's that um it's that point where you you live with next to somebody for so long and you don't know a lot of that person so it imagine that in the middle of, of you know after a fire or or after severe wind damage um knowing who to try to contact and and you know that's why we go in again knocking on doors after some mm-hmm. major event happens so that we can try and you know not not point out to the right direction but just even if it's somebody you know from the same ethnicity that that you can relate to a little bit more and maybe you're very willing, willing to open up a little bit more than you would with someone else. And well, and what you're referring, so, sorry, well, I was you want to say you know, something and, else. And as, as a community, a Latino community, we don't, you know, we pay the insurance, but we don't realize inflation goes up. And the value of rebuilding is much higher than, and we think, oh, well, we, we got enough money here. But over the years, the inflation's gone up and the value of that, to rebuild that property is tenfold, you know, so yeah, how that's, much where, that's ma- where we get lost. How much did you spend uh, buying your mobile home? How many years ago? Oh, my mobile home 40 years ago, and I probably paid like 28000 And wow. now how much is it going to cost you to replace that mobile home? Uh, f- about four fifty to 500000 500, What? Almost yeah. close to half a million dollars? Yeah. By the time, by the, from from foundation up, you're looking. You know, uh, she had insurance for uh, I think a hundred and hundred and fifty, hundred sixty thousand to cover the the house, but it's triple that to put put a modular back on there. You know, so yeah, so you know, look at that insurance. Yeah. Get get with your agent, and uh, I mean, as soon as all this went down, my wife and I called our agent, and yeah, we were underinsured too. And that's what they say, that the underinsured, only 30% of those who were affected, 30% of them were fully insured. The 60% of the rest of the people were underinsured. Yes, Beth, what do you want to add? Just that I don't know if our sample is is the same as their sample, but what we see coming into the office is more like 90 to 95% wow. underinsured. <laughs> and it may be that a chunk of people aren't coming to the office, uh, but it's... Yeah. It's huge. Every story I've heard, everybody's been underinsured. Every story I've heard, we don't have enough money. We're underinsured. And let me tell you, that's the reason. Please, Elsie, you want to say something else before yeah. we're going to go to one of the interviews I was able to do with Marina Lagrave, one Good. of the okay. specialists. And going back to what the both, both said, we as, as Latinas or Latinos or Latin family, we take it, we do it ourselves, you know? It, like you said, high winds will say, oh, I don't know. Then you try to call the insurance, call the insurance, and then they take forever to do anything. 
So we, with what we have, we'll go out there and do it. But in my area, there's nothing but seniors in the block that we are, so it's tough now. But before, when I was young, like these kids, it bothered me. I could go work, get the money, do what I needed to do, but it's too hard now. I'm falling apart, I guess. So, but yeah. You are not falling apart. You are (laughs) so beautiful, Elsie. No, you are not falling apart. We are getting calls, but questions that it seems like, you know, they are not coming through. But here is one question. Who owns the mobile home park? Um, Are they helping? I don't know if I'm reading correctly, Fiona. Can you? Yeah, I think that was um, passed through from someone here at uh, KGNU just joining the conversation. I and. I don't know if our guests can can answer this from their experience, but is that that factor of the mobile home park and who owns it? And well, for us, for us, uh, we own the land, so we don't, you know, we outright own it. For what I believe he's talking to, it's it's all renter based on the land. From the area, or I actually live in in a mobile home myself, Mm -hmm. and um, the way it works for us is there's an owner of, of of the land. We pay the lot rent. But you purchase your home. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of a disaster, you still have to, you know, uh, for example, my neighbor who lost his home to a fire, even since his mobile home hasn't been moved or a new one placed in, he still has to pay the lot rent. So it mm-hmm. goes a lot to that. I mean, I guess the um, if it were to be more of a natural disaster, um, things would be different uh, as opposed to having to build a foundation. You know, if a lot of uh, uh, mobile homes were affected, then the, I'm guessing the owner or something like that would would be the one in charge of it the uh renter of the land would be in charge of his home Mm. so that is the the biggest difference yeah Mm. i appreciate that clarification we have a caller that i'm going to bring up in the studio but i appreciate you talking through the differences between the different types of of housing that we have here in our community so let's bring up uh jim here in the studio yeah i just remember back when some of the flood stuff occurred um Sometimes insurance companies were being accused of not paying, that they would deny things, or you know, they, they would claim that it wasn't caused by something covered in the policy. So the insurance companies sometimes try and work the rules to deny coverage, whether it's for health insurance or uh, property insurance and such. And um, I think that they're not always perfect. And the underinsurance thing, can you explain it to me a little bit? Because... My understanding was like, let's say somehow you lived in a house that you paid $200,000 because you bought it 20 years ago or something. But now if the house is worth 400000 inflation or something, uh, the insurance company might say, well, you're only insured for half of the house. So even though you think you're going to get $200,000, they'll say, well, we're only going to give you 100000 because you didn't insure fully, so you insured for 200,000 when it should have been 400,000. So we won't give you the 200,000 you thought you were going to get. You're only going to get 100,000. So at least news a lot. There's insurance companies that are screwing people. So it's not all like, oh, it's our fault that we're underinsured. It's the insurance companies, at least historically, have intentionally tried to not pay people and find ways to, you know, delay till people are dead or gone. And it's the usual corporate thing. Bye. Jim, thank you very much for your call. I'm gonna. You've you've said a number of different things in there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna fade you out a little bit, and I want to give our guests a chance to answer. Answer. I'm gonna start with Beth here in the studio. 
Uh, so first of all, yes, there are variations in how well insurance uh, fulfills their policy and how the adjuster works with the client. Uh, this is especially apparent, for example, in smoke damage homes. And if a mobile home had a policy on it, some of them have had difficulties with that. I've heard of both of those situations having difficulty getting them to fulfill the policy. And in our situation, we do have insurance consultants who people can come to and get help with that. Uh, and then I'm not completely familiar with this uh if the house was insured for 200000 but it cost 400000 to rebuild, about that $100,000 uh, part. I'm not completely understanding that. However, um, I will say that insurance is a massive part of fixing the problem, and insurance is a challenge in getting the problem fixed at the same time. So without these millions of dollars to rebuild these homes, we would be in a lot of trouble. And at the same time, insurance has to be held accountable. And every year you should have a conversation with your insurance agent about the costs of the home, and you should have it in writing so that if they refuse mm -hmm. to increase the value of your insurance when you need it, you have that in writing in case a disaster happens. And um, what That's else? A good tip. But, yeah, That's we've really also changed. Tip. Sorry, we've changed some of the laws since the fire to increase coverage and payouts more quickly. Beth, I also want to bring right now um, a piece that I was able to interview. I I interviewed Marina Lagrave. I spoke with her. She's climate equity specialist for the Office of Sustainability, Climate Action, and Resiliency from the city of Boulder, and she mentions the recovery navigators and. Right now, what you have answered is key, and I think it is important to, there are resources. We need to ask, we need to go, and we need to insist, and we need to request because we have the rights. So I am Marina Lagrave. I am the Climate Equity Specialist for the Office of Sustainability, Climate Action, and Resilience from the city of Boulder. So I'm here uh, to support the community with whatever information they need in order to navigate recovery for after the Marshall Fire. What can you highlight, especially around everything that has to do with reconstruction? We have set up a program that is supporting every person that's been affected by the Marshall Fire by connecting those individuals directly with what we are calling the recovery navigators which is a free service that suffers through the Navigating uh, Disasters for Boulder County program. And so through this program, we offer short and long-term support, either in person or virtual, to help residents navigate the recovery and rebuilding process. So this is, a, this is again, a service uh, open to all of Boulder County residents affected by the Marshall Fire, by those residents who were also affected on the straight line of the wind events. So mobile home park residents also um, can work with a recovery navigator so that they can find solutions to the, you know, structural damage to their properties. There has been a lot of complaints around having to do the reconstruction to prepare homes now for a climate that is different. So right, uh, Rosanna. So these recovery navigators uh, not only is a free service, but they also will refer the, the residents to legal and insurance providers they will also share comprehensive recovery planning resources, financial resources for reconstruction, including Rosanna Mental Health Services. 
So the navigators will also assist with applications for av available rebuilding funds for fire damaged homes. Uh, and these funds come allocated from the state, the federal and philanthropic sources. So to date, we know that 310 households have come together with the recovery navigators to take advantage of, of all the resources that the county, and as I just mentioned, government has uh, put through the availability of these impacted families. Uh, you were just listening to Marina Lagrave, who is a climate equity specialist from the Office of Sustainability. And the voice you're hearing now is Fiona Foster. I'm one of the co-hosts today. We have a show unlike one that I've been involved in recently and that all of our guests are here in the studio. And it's very exciting for us as Connection hosts to have that. I haven't had that since before the pandemic. And so I want to take a moment to reintroduce everyone. And we've got about eight minutes left of the show. So to give everybody just a, a few minutes to speak about their perspective. So our guests today, uh, and I'm going to reintroduce everyone and then I'll hand it over to, to all of you. So our guests today are Beth Eldridge and she's a Marshall Fire Recovery Navigator. Uh, we have Elsie and Arthur Arturo, who is, uh, they were speaking about their experience losing their home and uh, five generations of the Chavez family have lived there. And at the beginning of the show, they were speaking about their experience and their loss with that. And we also have Bernardo, what's your last name? Padilla. And he is from Cisip Puede. So I'd love to go through and have all of you speak about kind of any, uh, Rosana was saying, any any thoughts, any recommendations from your experience, any closing words that you'd like to offer. I'll start with, with Beth and go, go through all of you. First of all, speak up and keep looking for resources. I know it can be a very arduous and difficult process and sometimes scary and <laughs> frustrating, uh, but we need to hear people's voices. We need to hear people's stories uh, to be able to include them in their resources and to make it known that this is needed. At the uh, Recovery Navigator Center, we have a phone number. It's 303-446-7782. That's 303-446-7782. We have a bit of a backlog, so also please try to be patient with us, but we really do want to know your story and how we can help. Thanks, Beth. Elsie. I think when I go back to the insurance, when we do get our insurance, I'm going to make sure to see what I have and not just take what they're saying, oh, yeah, it covers. I want to make sure it's there. That was one of the good things that somebody said, make sure it's in writing. Uh, because when you do go claim your insurance, I'll say, you're right. Oh, it's not on your policy, so forget it. You'll have to do it on your own. Because I went through that too. So I think that's when we had the 2013 flood in Superior. And they didn't cover my porch. So we had to do that ourselves. Um, so we have to really be careful when we get our insurances because, yeah, they want insurance up the yang-yang, but they don't want to pay anything back when it's time. Elsie Chavez, thank you for that recommendation. You know, Boulder County Wildfire Fund has raised over $43.06 million, and those who lost their homes can contact this Navigator Disaster, disaster from Boulder County program. There is money also there and we all deserve to you know get some support 
Arthur Chavez, you that you have been going through all that paperwork and supporting your mom in all this, what would you like uh, people to know about your experience and what's your recommendation? Well, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to my wife for that because she's the one who's gone through this paperwork and it's challenging. It's really challenging and it's frustrating and it just seems like it's the same questions over and over. Um, and sometimes you just run into that roadblock and, and I think that's when people throw their arms up and just, I give up and I'll do it all my, myself, you know, mm -hmm. because I, it just so many loops to jump through that it's frustrating. People do give up, you know, um, yeah. but I'd like to thank you guys for letting us get our story out. Um, we really appreciate it and like to thank all the friends and family um, out there who's giving us support um, and courage and, and, you know, just being there for us. We, we appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Arthur, and thank you, Elsie, for coming to share your story. And I just want to point out that the second time I went to see you to produce this other story about what has happened after a year, you shared with me, Elsie, that you had to use your savings, the savings that you were planning on giving to your grandchildren, to your kids. And yeah. it is, it is yes. because of that that I am so happy that you're here because there is money, you know. There are donations, federal money. There's donations from people from around the world that want to support you. It is, I'm pretty sure that's like you, there's others that can also access, you know, these, these funds. Thank you so much, Elsie. But I don't want to um, forget... <laughs> Bernardo, and just what's your message, Bernardo Padilla, for those that have been experiencing struggling with the Marshall Fire and the recovery process? Well, again, thank you for the invite. And, you know, it's it's good to hear from, from people that have not only experienced this, but have have resources as well to, to be able to help other community. Um, my message is exactly what they said. We, we have to get ourselves... Um, properly informed about what it is that we are signing i guess at the end of the day when it comes to an insurance uh policy um to to go back a little bit to what the radio caller said um when when the flooding happened i myself had insurance too and it said flood insurance coverage until you know i realized that it wasn't regular natural disaster flood it was more of a if your sewage backed up flood mm -hmm. and you don't get to know these things unless you get the proper information so what i ended up doing afterwards is finding myself in um programs that could teach me how to better understand this this is how i came upon si se puede si se puede i joined in and because because of that i've been able to know how to not only help myself but help out the community because i'm not the just one person that was misinformed several thousands of people have been misinformed um we think we see insurance and that's all we need you know but then at that point it's more of we really need uh the information about what it is that we're entitling which is what we try to bring to the community and and if people are interested in si se puede where can they go for more information we are <laughs> quite small for the time being we are wanting to bring up social media a website so on and so forth but for the time being it's more of a word-to-mouth sort of way we're working right now because we are a smaller it's not most of us donate our time as opposed to something else so we do this when when we have because we know that it's important to be able to help our community and be able to grow in 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 the 
way that we want to not only to just say, hey, here's a phone number that will never answer or will never call you back, but we want to do it properly. Thank you so much, Bernardo. I just want to thank all the guest speakers this morning for taking the time to come to our studios and share their stories and the hard work of reconstructing and rebuilding after the Marshall Fire and the support that navigators are giving. I also want to say that I have been your host, Rosanna Longo Better, with Fiona Foster. We thank all the callers the one caller and the questions about those that really wanted to find out what these people are struggling. I, once again, thank you so much. And we invite our listeners to stay tuned for Morning Sound Alternative coming your way with Greg Schultz. Talk. Talk show. Talk back. Talk radio. Talk your talk. Walk your talk. KGNU talk. Call in. Call in and talk. Call in and connect.